All right, I'm here with Dr. Heather Bartlett. She's a board-certified family medicine doctor, and she has an extreme focus in cellular health and metabolism. Heather, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. I really appreciate it, Evan. Hey, I am excited to jazz out with you on all things cellular sure. health because uh, you and I got a chance to kind of geek out a while about a month ago, and uh, I think this is going to be a really, really good one for, for people, especially when we talk about metabolism and cellular health. And I think, I'm sure a lot of listeners are like, what is cellular health? What does that even mean? But before we get into that, kind of talk us, like, how, how did you go down this route and, and then get into this focus of where you're at right now? Oh, great question. I feel like most good things end up with some type of backstory. So, and I feel like it's rare that somebody pulls a rabbit out of a hat. So, I mean, honestly, I thought I was going to be going into surgery. I started off that way. I pivoted to family medicine. I did allopathic medicine for over a decade, as I was told to. Um, I decided to take the big leap into direct primary care. So the low monthly membership cost practice. And, you know, it was a really uh, it was a challenge explaining people what the concept was, but the really cool back end, nobody saw it coming for me at least, was getting to know patients well enough to then be able to say this whole discussion about medical noncompliance, it's an easy pass for a doctor to not get outcomes, um, and we should be asking ourselves better. And so as I got to know my patients in this, in this small panel, um, I also really started to nerd out on the Quest Cardio IQ lipid panels. And because I could get them pretty affordably for my patients, I actually kind of started forcing them into it that if you were going to be in my practice, I actually don't even know what to do with a basic lipid panel anymore. Like it's mm. just so unreliable that they were forced to do that. And so long story short, um, you know, in 2016, I'd gone to a huge conference at Ohio State University, the uh, nutritional ketosis and carbohydrate restriction conference, which I had already kind of tiptoed into nutritional ketosis myself, not keto, just eating fat, but like looking at blood ketone levels, et cetera. And, and I had a, my patients, like the people that were willing about 50% to do it and do it right. And so I was kind of this, um, unusual doctor that none of the pharmacy staff understood why I kept prescribing CGMs back then. And, and for people who weren't technically diabetic, um, and seeing what was going on between their CGM results and their lipid panels, and then half the people having really tremendous success with nutritional ketosis, and then the other half really not. And it became a question of why, instead of saying, well, they're not doing it right, there's something, you know, it, it's them, they're the problem. And I'm staring at these cholesterol panels that some of them are, are shifting beautifully. Some of them take a while to shift. This whole three-month, you know, somebody doesn't do well in three months and kick a, kick a statin on them quickly. Um, it, was, it was the question of why, okay? And the problem was that all I could do was ask my patients to work really hard at, can you try some macros? Mix them up a little bit. Um, exercise more. Exercise less. Increase your fat content. But some people would lose weight and their lipid panels would get worse. And then I went back and I looked at the studies of what are the, what are the, what are the studies about uh, people who lose a tremendous amount of weight and what happens to their lipid panels? Well, it must be so uncommon that there really aren't that many studies. And they're kind of anecdotal. And, and I, I do believe in the study of one person, but it would be nice to have some guidance that here we all are in medicine panicking about cholesterol panels if people start doing the right thing. And it's not shifting maybe fast enough, or we don't know why it's not, and, and we panic. And then we tell people while they're feeling better and losing weight, stop it. What? What are we doing? So that pushed me down the journey of uh, I eventually decided to create this clinic concept and say, how reverse engineer it? How do I answer the questions that people need to know to answer the, the black boxes? How many calories? I had one patient who um, I literally can know his name, see his face in the discussions very, very vividly that I was like, man, I just don't know if your body metabolizes fat well. Like I just, it doesn't agree with you. What is that? And so I spent a couple of weeks looking at the research, like, is there such a thing? And this is way back when, before genetic testing was ex extremely common about this, but I was like, oh, there's this thing called a PPAR mutation. Well, that's... That's interesting. And some people, literally, they can't metabolize the fat on their body or what they consume. Now, so Heather, are you like, talking, is this kind of similar to the APOE genotype that we hear a lot about when, and if someone has that genotype, they typically don't do well on high-fat diets? Is that kind of what we're talking about? Uh, yes and no, but this, this is a different set of, of genes. 
And it is, it's one of those things of, uh, specific macros, right? We've got a lot of nutrition. If I could, let me just finish this one thing real yeah. quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How I got here. So it was like, wait a minute, this could be going on with this guy. All right. Um, I don't know how to guide him on his macros genetically. Like uh, th- this must be a thing, right? Uh, we know where his lipid panel is going. I don't know how many calories to tell him to eat. I don't know. He's pounding a treadmill and he won't do strength training because he's afraid he's going to get big and bulky and really raw and doesn't want to buy new clothes, which hindsight, I really should have pushed him on that. But like, I couldn't tell him if that cardio was going to be making an impact for him. It was all these things, right? Of like, so when somebody comes into a doctor's office, like they used to mine or any other PCP or cardiologist or internal medicine, and they say, or an endocrinologist, Hey doc, you know, what, what do I do? And everybody is standard at the boilerplate. I know it. And then in your space, you know this very well and your listeners too, but you know, move more, eat less calories in calories out, walk, walking will get you what you need. Just move. It's it's these very vague things. Everybody's afraid to stick their finger in it and say, try this, do this. Only I was doing that. And I was like, well, it's not working for half the people. So where do you get the data to try to literally create a roadmap for somebody that gives them a sense of autonomy, that gives them answers. It's not, I, I don't own it. I give it all to them so they know what to do to create this impact. And it became this further down the path. It was like, oh, also, why is it that like some people who have Crohn's disease, for example, they're not responding to medication, right? Like, so here we go down the cellular path. And you've had some people talk about cellular health and cellular testing and all that from a micronutrient intracellular perspective. And it's absolutely relevant. So build that in too. So we ask our bodies to do a lot of things. We ask, doctors ask them to, pharmaceuticals, whether the ones that really are needed to make an intervention. If you're asking the cell to do something and it can't, no wonder we're not getting outcomes, Right. It doesn't have the substrates. It doesn't have the building blocks. It's kind of ridiculous. We wouldn't expect this in any other construction or otherwise, but we expect this of our body. So that's how this clinic came to be, which was there's too many black boxes for patients. There's not good guidance for me as a clinician, but people can't get access to the high-powered labs, fortunately, unfortunately, I don't know, um, without often having a clinician involved. Well, you can get a clinician and they say, good luck, here's your data. I don't know what to do with it, right? So there's not been this clinical perspective. So this has been my weird kind of passion into this, which was how do you fix cholesterol panels without medication as much as you can? There's some people, it's not going to go well, but like there's a lot of people out there. We can talk about the, the minimal people that may not budge, but there's way more people out there, I truly believe, that will budge if they've got the right tools, if they've got the right knowledge about their body. Okay, I got a ton of questions, but just something that you just mentioned right now, cholesterol being a a marker. How do people fix their cholesterol? And why do you use that as, uh, or maybe you don't, maybe I'm just thinking because you you mentioned it, why do you use that as a standing point or a marker? Why is that an important marker in your mind for kind of how the cellular health and the downstream effects and how the body is just in general working? Sure. You know, one of the, one or two of the conferences, uh, sessions that I went to at that conference is actually what got me ticking on this. And I don't know that these guys and gals are getting enough FaceTime, playtime to, to tell people what they, what they know and where they're going. So when I'm, what I mean here is cholesterol. So those lipidologists, so we're talking about like on the cardio IQ lab, the gentleman, I'm terrible at names. The gentleman that literally came up with the different patterns, pattern A, pattern B, the bimodal distribution of, of size of somebody's LDL and, you know, his story of like, it was pattern A, pattern B. It was clear as day. These people absolutely had cardiovascular events retrospectively looking at the data. These people absolutely didn't. And he just said, I got so far along my data that I had to stay with pattern A and pattern B. I wanted to do fancier names. Those guys and gals are tuned into the fact that cholesterol is also an indicator of that, an energy problem in the body, like an excess energy, right? We, we talk about very um, retroactively about visceral fat, which is absolutely relevant, right? Our momentum, the big fat pad, it gets bigger. Then we start getting extra fat around our organs. And we say, this is terrible, but we don't, a lot of people don't address the how or the, the why, right? Well, it's an excess energy the body is putting at some place, right? So 
when we go back and we, you know, in early in my career of, you know, 15 years ago, um, triglycerides, A1C was so new when I was a young resident that we couldn't just order it on people. We had to prove it, right? So somebody could come in with an elevated BMI, you're, they're having symptoms, it's kind of unusual, we get a fasting glucose, it comes back normal. But if their triglycerides were elevated, we could now make a case that we could get the A1C and then it may show us, right? And Heather, just for people that are unaware, yeah. just let everybody know, hemoglobin A1C is what you're referring to. And that's yeah. a biomarker that is giving a snapshot of what our blood glucose looks like over a three-month period. Is that fair to say? Is that Yeah, kind of a, yeah. Okay. I mean, quick, a little bit more just so for relevance. You know, when I say I'm, uh, I'm kind of curious about where this three-month arbitrary do better or go on a statin thing comes up. Well, with A1C, why we do it every three months is because Red blood cell cycle of life is about 90 to 120 days. And these little markers on there, these little glycolation markers on the red blood cells is what we're measuring. It gives us an indication of how much glucose load has been circulating. Okay. So what a lot of people also don't even know about a hemoglobin A1C, so hemoglobin A1C, A1C for short, is that if somebody is doing really well for two weeks and they kind of let go of the handlebars the last four weeks, it will show us that little blip the highest it's been in the last four weeks, which is kind of a nice tip for patients, you know, like the the severity of you got to stay consistent. And also for physicians who don't realize they may not be lying to you. They may have killed it the, the first two months, three months, and then the last one, something went awry, okay, for whatever reason. But that's, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Very cool. So, um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, go uh, ahead. No, it was just, and so continue kind of on that cholesterol map. And, and, and I think what I'm thinking about too is, you know, we've been told cholesterol is very high. Cholesterol is very bad for you. And then you have another camp of people like Paul Saladino, who is known in the carnivore camp. He's a carnivore doctor and eater, and he's got a cholesterol, I think of 300. He brags about it and says, it doesn't mean anything. It has nothing to do. I'm actually in the best shape of my life. And the modern doctors don't know what they're talking about. So I'm always interested in like, okay, well, where's the sweet spot where we should be thinking like cholesterol still matters, but at what point, right? Yeah, no, totally. I apologize. I'll turn that on silent. Um, so this is the point. A one-size-fit-all approach doesn't work, right? And even with couples that I, you know, a husband and wife would be working together, both of them trying to change their lifestyle, lower their BMI, be more fit. And one would do one thing. The other would do the exact same thing. One would have success. The other wouldn't. And, you know, there's an implosion of frustration. And I'm doing the same thing. Pick it, whoever is cooking, I'm doing the cooking and I'm not getting the benefit, yada, 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 right? Yeah. And I always have to say to them, let's just remember here, very genuinely, unless this is in an incestuous relationship, which no judgment, but kind of odd, um, you know, you have two different sets of genes, right? And so I do, I don't want to say I have a bone to pick with people that are going out there and, and saying this nutrition works, look at me, because it probably does work for that person. And that's where you can load up on the Reddit forums as much as you want to, whether you're doing paleo, vegan, vegetarian, ovo-vegetarian, picket, uh, carnivore, whatever, right? It is, everybody is different. And until you get that data about yourself to know, right? And if somebody is, you know, I think fortunately in your space, a lot of people that are, that may be listening to this podcast, perhaps this will be the message that gets out from those people who may not be struggling as hard, but like, it is a big pathway for people who are metabolically unfit, who have a lot of metabolic dysregulation to get that ball moving for them and to, and to keep it consistent, right? So every time somebody is stepping into the ring and they're reading a Reddit forum and somebody says, this work, look at me, look at the success, and they do it, and they have another failure. That is that is a really terrible thing. You know, it's, it's kind of like I was listening to Rich Roll's uh, discussion the other day with, with Atia, you know, talking about, you know, our trauma, big T's, little T's, whatever. Big T's, little T's are a big thing in the metabolic space. And there's a lot of people, I feel like there's a lot of clinicians that are getting a lot of time talking, but and they're, we're working kind of with elite people who are optimizing, who aren't necessarily exclusively also going after the people who have severe metabolic dysregulation who need the help the most. These are the people that when we're looking at these studies and we're saying, you know, well, if you look at these rates and you look at this meta study, those are the people 
that are really struggling, right? And there's not a lot of lip service given to those people because there's not a lot of clinicians that are going after trying to help those people because it's a lot of work, right? That's a as you as you big, know, Heather, because you're yeah, one of the people a, that is is actually pushing that envelope and asking those questions and saying, "Why? What? What? What can I, What can we do?" Right? So right. So it's um. So the cholesterol. Going back to this, so the, those lipidologists, real, real quickly, like what they know, what we knew was that there was there was a combination here between what was going on with energy, excess glucose circulating, and triglycerides, right? But we've gotten to this place in a cardiology, and, the, and, and I, I am not anti-statin. I am not anything. And actually, I make my my patients have a PCP separate than me, because I find like. It is a difficult conversation when you have a statin in one hand and you have everything else you need to do to try to not have it. It becomes too easy for them to say, well, there's always a statin with Dr. Bartlett, so I'll kind of do this, right? So I'm like, you'll have that hard conversation with somebody else and you will make that decision alone. My goal here is to guide you to see, maybe you do go on a statin, maybe you can get off of it. Maybe you pause it and you really make tremendous lifestyle, nutrition, fitness changes, mitochondrial change. You do all these things and maybe this goes away. But when they're kind of both in the same room, I think it makes it very hard for people to understand what is my level of concern, severity. Well, and, I, and the last person I want to be is the I'm anti-statin. There's some people that absolutely need statins, right? But I don't feel like all the levers have been pulled for most people by the time that we're getting to that place of talking about a statin. And, the, you know... In our age group, the beautiful thing is we got to take this stuff seriously now, but we should have been taking it seriously in our 20s and 30s, as we know, right? Um, when when does bad stuff start? Back then. When do we see the results? Later, right? Yeah. But, you know, um, so these, the convert, how did I get to this whole cholesterol thing was, wait a minute. So we work, we dial in real hard on CGM work, right? Looking at it, learn, learning. Uh, I created a journal with my patients as well. So data alone is a useless thing. And this is where I think there's kind of a time will tell how it goes with a lot of these apps because telling somebody what to do versus somebody knowing what they've really been doing, sleeping, eating, alcohol, stress, sick last week, uh, pick it. If you don't know what you did, you have no idea. It's just data. And data alone is a very useless thing for people. And if anything, is very stressful and a saddening effect, right? So doing that and then seeing people, I have, they're in the other room, but I have literally with the cardio IQ, which is beautiful, is that you can see people on that basic cholesterol panel who light up red, kind of talking probably about like the gentleman that you were speaking about, huge total number of LDL, right? Uh, total cholesterol high, triglycerides might be okay, HDL, who knows, split it. And then you come down and you look at actually what is the plaque making stuff. Not And yes, the a little ApoA, ApoB, all this, fine. But like also, this is a conversation piece of what you can change, not just the genetics of where you're at. And being able to see people shift over that, knowing your patients aren't being non-compliant, is a different discussion than who done it? I don't know, statin time right? But not just that, they feel like crap. So we're so scared in the cardiac perspective, I think, of something bad happening to somebody that we just kind of, we do, and it's important. We don't want cardiovascular risk. We don't want atherosclerosis to, to march forward. We don't want these things. I understand that. But at some point, we're going to have to stop screaming. We're not going to be able to pay for all of the metabolic disease and also in the same medical system, not approach this differently. They're creating unfortunately, a lot of economic impact, life impact, but we're not shifting in allopathic medicine to get to the before mm. because there's not a lot of money to be made in that, right? We know that. There's not a lot of money to do prevention studies, right? They're hard to do. They take a lot of time. And also, it's a lot of variables of people. I mean, so, so, Getting back to it, it is the cholesterol and this blood sugar and this energy and everybody being different, just moving, just eating differently, just taking a statin is not going to wish away these things. But most importantly, in the, in the last kind of push of this clinic, it's been asking people, how do you feel? Not, not just psychosocial, I'm sad, whatever, like 
physically? How do you feel? Do you feel strong? Do you feel inflamed? Do you feel like you go to the gym and you look around and you think everybody around you is delusional because you feel worse at the end of your workout than when you started? So yeah. I had patients that I got super excited in like 2017, 2018, when the Mayo Clinic came out with the study of like, is there such a thing as anti-aging exercise? And it was looking at HIT. And it was by definition, if you can drive the number of mitochondria up, then that is technically anti-aging because as we mature and as we age, we lose mitochondria. And I was so stoked, so stoked with that, that I was like, I got about six patients. I'm going to go ask to like hit it, hit it hard. They've said they're willing to do it. Like, let's do this thing. And probably three or four of the six really did it. And they came back three months later and I said, well, how are we doing? How do you feel? I was just like, this is it. This is a winning golden ticket right here. And they're like, doc, I feel worse. I feel mm. worse after every time I'm more tired. I never get this energy bump. I don't understand why this is happening. And it was like, and that was the whole thing of, Got to ask myself, why? Why is this happening, right? Oh, yeah, we need to talk about mitochondrial health. We need to talk about how metabolic health, what is this cross-connection between the mitochondria and that cholesterol panel even? It, it's all related, right? And then you get nerdier and nerdier, and you say, this is all about the cells. This really is about the cellular health. And the cells are impacted by everything, but like we also got to make sure they have what they need. So this is just like... I don't know why we can't do this on a larger scale in the allopathic world is because I think this is what really needs to happen. Otherwise there's all these black boxes. There's so much loss of hope, you know? All right, Dr. B you're kind of blowing my mind here. Cause you're, you're uh, I don't hear a lot of people talking about exactly what you're saying and, and looking at the multiple different parameters. And like you said, asking how people feel just because hit works for some people and their mitochondria and it gets this charge and they go up and their cholesterol goes down and yay, we saved the day, but that doesn't happen for everybody. So what have you noticed? Is there, and again, you've mentioned this, so I got to be careful asking this question. There's that bio individuality for everybody. So like you mm -hmm. mentioned with the, with the couple, one might get really well and the other one might not. So we have to do different things. But have you seen patterns overall with what you've been doing in your clinic that you have seen some good results? Or, and I think what I'm asking too is like what can people start to do in general that seems to work and improve cellular health? And I think on that note too, like how do you define cellular health? Because you, you've mentioned the cells that being completely different than say the metabolism or the cholesterol. So how do you think yeah. about that and how do we get it better? Well, I mean, so first of all, I mean, I used to start, when I started, rebuilt this clinic, there was one massive set of labs that I was missing. And I'm glad I finally got to it because I was like, still, there's something else missing what's going on here. So I check a resting metabolic rate and direct calorimetry, right? I do body composition. People need to know the percent body fat. They need to be able to quantitate visceral fat. They need to know their skeletal muscle mass, Right. Because I, even in my old clinic before it was, this was more high tech, I literally took a tape measure and centimeters and I used to go around all my patients and I had, uh, and when I, the people that I was doing this with, look, there was some level of, I had everybody, I would fill out a, a, a tracking sheet, right? Of this, of their circumferences, greater trochanter umbilicus around the belly button, around the biggest part of their hips. And, you know, and you could kind of see who really wasn't into this and they were just going to do the standard lifestyle. Let's just say that, right? But those that, that did it and were committed and their body changed, even though I would say, look, your centimeters, you're smaller, you're smaller, you're shrinking. What happens to most people? My scale says I'm the same. We're so obsessed with it. Um, that anyways, people, so people, what people don't have feedback on people can't change, right? It's not just what you don't know you can't, you, you don't know you can't change, you can't manage it, right? And so people need uh, these small victories, especially, um, I'm not going to say especially, but I, I feel like there's a bigger struggle with women in my age group now that we need every victory we need because they've been told for, by God knows how many people, friends, moms, grandmothers, their physicians, their OBGYNs, this is it. This is how your body is going to be right now, right? 
that's just, that's not truth. Um, so, okay, so fine. Rest, indirect telemetry, body composition testing. We look at this big panel of things. We grab a couple of serum labs for vitamin D, magnesium, whatever, even though, and I think this was always in the back of my head, that we always knew that intracellular magnesium deficiency would never be reflected on a serum, right? Like we knew that, that was kind of common knowledge, but I was it never really got to me of like, but then how do you check it? Yeah. What's a reliable <laughs> way to check it? Yeah. So SpectraCell has a micronutrient test that, so, so cardio labs grab this genetic panel and then it was like still people, the feeling part, the feeling better part was still missing. Right. And so bring in that SpectraCell testing and I give them rave reviews because they've been around over 30 years. I think the scientist who came up with it is a genius. And wow. it's a test where they take their T lymphocyte. This let me go back on the backstory of this. And SpectraCell, forgive me if I get this uh, slightly wrong, but basically, it's known how to clearly grow out cell division for testing, right? To optimize it and then stress test it and know between the pharmaceutical world and research. And what this gentleman did is he said, "There's nothing in the clinical space. People in the real world should have access to this to be able to utilize it." So he set out for that. And he was at University of Texas, Austin. I'm an Aggie, so I'm not going to hold that against them because the next good science that they started using came out of Texas A&M. But he had a patented medium. So what they do is they take your T lymphocytes. So you get a whole blood uh, sample, two tubes, not a big deal. You ship them overnight to Houston. They're super rigid about timing because these things, you got to get them there quickly. They can be temperature sensitive, all these things. So a little bit of a pain, but a highly useful test. And they extract the T lymphocytes. And they do that because the T lymphocytes have a nucleus, right? Outside, we look at red blood cells, there's no nucleus. So this is the closest thing that we can get to if we took a tissue biopsy testing our cells of how we're doing. Not only that, clearly T lymphocytes are part of our immune system, but it also gives us, an, turns out, they're one of the best predictors of our overall health in general, not just from an immune perspective, okay? So they take these, they put them in this perfect medium, which sounds crazy, because it's like, why would you want to do that when you might wash out some of the deficiencies? And the, the issue is that after growing out in this and then testing it, if those things are there, they're really there. Those are, my, those are functional deficiencies that have been there for four to six months. So if somebody even started a supplement regimen, let's say in the last month or two, it's not going to impact the results of that test. So people will be like, well, that's cool, et cetera. Now flip it on the other side. Our bodies are extremely adaptable, right? In a great way and also in a painful way if you're in the metabolic space, right? So we are, it's going to adapt. We work out. We're going to hit a plateau threshold. We are constantly going to need to have breakthroughs, et cetera, right? So a beautiful thing and a painful thing from we're looking at this micronutrient thing because you know, if we ate a bunch of spinach and our vitamin K could shoot through the roofs, we'd just be walking blood clots, right? Our body is not going to adapt that quickly. It's not supposed to adapt. It's not supposed to incorporate everything that comes into us that quickly. Of course, we've got first pass liver effect and how much somebody absorbs and nutrient density and all these other things. But let's just say everything's swimmingly perfect. The body is going to protect us against high quantities of things. That's what it's supposed to do. So when we're doing intracellular testing and people need to go on supplements, specific targeted testing supplements, right? That, and they're like, how long, doc, till we get to recheck this? It's four to six months before we can start seeing an impact, right? So it's a painful thing for some people, but also it's a protective measure of our body. Um, I have a, a patient that uh, I was working with a small business, gave a talk. She decided to reach out secondarily and she has suffered from severe Crohn's. Severe Crohn's, three resections. Uh, three resections, told she'd be put back together, has an ostomy in January of this year. Then had a CT scan that found she had active disease. That was out the window. And in her mind, and I know she's had a lot of stress, like she really doesn't think that that was a great conversation that was had with her about the likelihood of being able to have that repair. Okay. So she comes to me in desperation because her energy's low. She feels terrible. Ostomy outputs just, just feels bad. And she's getting huge infusions, Remicade infusions, combination infusions since November. She's on TPN five nights a week. This is somebody who's really been through hell, okay? And she's a tiny person on top of it, okay? Little person, all this stuff happening too. Just little, little framed. And 
And so I said, look, she was interested in peptide therapies. And I said, I'm all for it, but let's just remember what peptide therapies are. We're signaling to the body, we're asking the body to do something in response. But again, you've been getting a lot of signals coming in and your body's not responding. I don't want to be another failure. So let's do this micronutrient testing. Let's see what we find there. Okay. So as it turns out, she was, and ironically, she literally has had the best set of the least number of deficiencies of everybody else who has intact bowels that I've checked. She's been the least. Okay. So she's deficient in zinc. She's deficient in copper. What are the things that you absolutely have to have for healing, wound healing, connective tissue healing? So there's been this huge demand, this ask of the body to do something in response, and it couldn't do what it needed to. Well, I just talked to her a couple days ago, and I've been, and I am not anti what she's doing. I mean, she's got a, she is in a big team, big research clinic that's managing her care, and I'm okay with that, obviously. I'm not here to run interference, and I said, look, Take this to them. Take this, this set of labs to them because and let them know this is what I'd like you to do. Let's get their feedback. I want this to be, I'm not against them. I want to work with them. I want their stuff to work for you, okay? Yep. And you would be shocked that the specialist laughed at it, made her feel inferior, said, I want to know what the core, what, what is the relationship and the correlation between serum and, and intracellular testing is as if there's, it's not, it's different, right? And made her feel small while she was trying to advocate for herself. I'm asking her to take three supplements, targeted specific doses. That's all I asked. I didn't say stop the infusions. I didn't say they're, don't listen to them. What have they done for you lately? None of that. All I wanted was for her to take the building block she needed for that. Okay, fast forward. So she was kind of slow and tedious because they really did a, uh, a good job and making me look like, who was Dr. You're the quack doctor, yeah. I'm the quack doctor. And I told her that. I said, look, I I used to be an allopathic physician who did not understand these things. And I did not have the time, especially when I was in employed practice, um, to take the time to look up every lab that somebody brought to me to see what the relevance was, right? So So grace, grace to the mountains, grace, grace to everybody, right? But so two weeks. Two weeks, she finally started her zinc and copper. I said, how are you doing? How's side effects? Do you have any side effects? No. Huge concern of affecting her ostomy output. Okay. Well, what else is going on? I feel like something shifted. Really? Tell me more. I'm sleeping better. My energy's better. My ostomy output is down. I'm actually, they decreased my TPN, the amount, the volume. Now they dropped me by an entire day of TPN. I feel really good. Two, I said, anything else change? I'm, I'm grasping here, right? And the interesting thing is that she was still so hesitant to think that these two things, specifically for, for actual tissue healing, could have made such an impact. Why do we ask our body to do things if it doesn't have what it needs to do it, right? Why would we guide somebody to take supplements if we don't know if they need them, right? Like, there's a level of common sense to this that I understand, like, more is better, Going back to that spectrocell test, you can a uh, component of it is actually looking at your antioxidant function. Like you can look at your antioxidants individually, but then actually like how is it doing when they stress tested it? All right. Well, hey, little knowledge to me in medical school, residency, everything else, you can have an excess of antioxidants that can become pro-oxidative, right? So right, and in this space, anybody who's listening, probably most people know that, but there's a lot of people that don't know that. Something's good, more of it is always better. Yeah. And there's also a lot of supplements that push that ideology. So we have to be careful about that. And that's a tremendous amount of money for people too. So, you know, and I always tell people in, in the vague sense of what is oxidative damage, the easiest example that I can think of that actually clicks with people is it's the rust that you see on your car happening internally. Oxidative reactions, right? And so if you don't understand this vague thing between inflammation and oxidative damage, like it matters. It's a big deal. Um, so spectrocell, spectrocell, intracellular micronutrient testing, 
Powerful stuff, man. Powerful. And that's a so that's a great test that you like to use to get kind of what is going on at the cellu- cellular level. And then also, what um, what's a spectra cell test run these days? I don't even know. Um, I think directly through their website. I think they and they'll basically kind of pitch out to a local provider who is licensed in your state. It's like five hundred and twenty-five. Whew. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. it's a little bit of an investment. I mean, but you're getting a lot of data, and so that's you're, that's you're getting it. data, you're getting percentages, you're not just getting intracellular micro, you're getting it break, broken down by segments. You're getting your your B vitamins, your minerals, your an, your antioxidants, um, your amino acids and metabolites. Okay, you're also getting um, their antioxidant testing. You're getting an immune testing function as well, also correlated according to. How are you compared to everybody else in your age space? How is your immune function compared to everybody else? Let's not pretend I'm healthy. Let's see really how are you scaling here, right? Um, so you get that. You also get a glucose-insulin uh, sensitivity interaction. Mm. Well, you can look at this and be like, oh, it's off. And, and these are like real numbers. Also, when you're looking at these micronutrients and all this stuff. It's not high, medium, low. These are quantitative numbers that when you go back in four to six months, you can actually see how you move the needle. And that's a big deal compared to, oh, you're off a little bit, kind of like the food sensitivity test. You're high, low, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, they, these are actual dialed-in numbers, okay? And so when you're looking at whether you're looking at the glucose, insulin um, sensitivity, or even and, and a fructose sensitivity test too, and you they're off, you say, well... They're off. Then you flip the page, and what do you get? You get an amazing map that actually shows you on your energy cycle and a whole other set looking at your DNA replication where these functional deficiencies are jamming up the system. Mm. Now, everybody can say, who the hell cares about this? Then I, don't, I just want to ask everybody, why did I take biochemistry in pre-med? Why did I take organic chemistry? Why did I have to do this again in medical school? And then why, after we, we took our pharmaceutical class, we stopped talking about this stuff? Mm. Great point. Okay. I love that. Yeah. So this is not hokey pokey. This is not woo woo. This is actual fundamental what we had to learn. So why are we not applying it? Why? I honestly, I don't, we should be screaming it from the mountains that everybody should be getting the spectra cell test because you go back and we now look at soil, right? It only takes three nutrients to make a crop look like a normal crop, right? And then we've got some kind of big uh, names in the functional medicine space that all they say is you just have to eat whole food and people do it. And I have those patients and they're not feeling better and things aren't shifting. Okay. Well, they're not getting what they need. They're not, it's just not there. We've depleted our soil so much. There's a reason why soil regenerative culture is a big deal and it's a necessity, right? So you have to stack it. There's so many people that have done who are doing the right thing. And it's not working, but nobody stops to say, it's just, you must not be doing it enough. You must not be doing it right. You know, we excuse so many things away. No, like we need to know. People yeah. need to know, right? Yeah. That's fair. No, so, I love this. And I, and I think you're doing a great job by bringing in the cardio IQ test, bringing in the spectra and doing more than just the standard blood work that we've all been told about and really diving deep and saying, how do we, how do these all compare? How are these systems interacting and how can we make a deduced kind of deduction saying, this is probably what's most likely going on and this is how we can attack it. I think that's unique and no, not many people are doing that. Well, it's a, thank you. It's a, the, when I was trying to get the word out about this clinic and explain it, the only way I could easily say it is like, look, I'm where the allop- a traditional allopathic doctor's office stops is where I pick up. Okay. And the other thing is that it did not serve people from a disease down model in trying to create impact for people. Right. It was, it has to be from cellular up is what I realized. And the, the tipping toe for me was around the whole lipid panel. And then I also check a, a fasting insulin and a fasting C peptide. Okay. On people. And, you know, uh, a little bit before this, we were talking for a second about hemoglobin A1Cs. And the reason why I started doing that was because I was like, wait a minute, before I had all this data, this is in the old practice. It was, how can I see what's going on as far as do we have an, do we have a nutrition problem? Is the pancreas working really hard? Can, and also the patient needs to know this. Um, do we, or is the cell starting to get sick? 
and is rejecting and we're getting this insulin resistance, or is it both? But if you're just looking at a fasting insulin, it's a whodunit, right? And C-peptide is a precursor to insulin. So we can see how hard <clears throat> the pancreas is working out. Now, is there, oh, I'll say this very directly, is there any great data behind this to look at this for utility? Uh, no, there's not. But I can tell you based off a of clinical experience looking at people's labs and, and my clinic, it matters. And we should be looking at C-peptides anyways for some people who are diabetics to see how we are doing as far as burning out those poor little islet cells, right, of the pancreas. But basically, if somebody is, is one or over on a C-peptide, what I've found is we've got an energy excess problem coming in. The pancreas is working hard. It's, pump, it's trying to make enough insulin to keep everything in balance. When we look at the ins fasting insulin, now we can say, now we have an idea of what's going on around the cell. And where I think we've really kind of botched things up with the hemoglobin A1C is, is that it is really an indicator of what's going on. It's not necessarily the only and exclusive thing to treat, right? So um, I was saying this a little bit earlier, but like somebody who is on medication, and this is a common misnomer who is taking medication for diet for the purpose of lowering their blood sugar, who is now controlled based off their A1C, is in their mind, they are no longer diabetic. And that is a gross abnormality, right? And the thing that made me start to think about this about, is it good enough? Is it good enough just to control somebody's blood sugar? Is that enough? And what told me no was, then why do we stack studies and we say somebody's risk is higher it's slightly less if they're a controlled diabetic, but we get in these higher ranges, it gets worse and worse and worse, then actually being a diabetic is not okay. We need to stop patting people on the back that they are a controlled diabetic. Now, I'm not, this is not a shaming thing because without knowing everything about their kind of metabolomics, so to speak, they probably are not going to override that they're not going to have success and i understand that but this is part of like why i'm here talking about this is yeah. we can do more as doctors right and we should be doing more and we should be enabling people to get the data they need that's going to move the needle for them instead of just whipping out the prescription pad yeah. if we're saying if if in the same se sentence we're saying and giving them some type of advice of move more eat less then we also need then it, it you're saying something say it right get them the right data don't create shitty hope for people, mm. right? So That's... my biggest thing is I don't want people to be, I don't want to be somebody's failure. One more failure, right? And so like for my patients, the, the potential patients, right? I do a big intensive consult and they answer about 250 questions online that I go and I mark up and I highlight and then I create a path based off where they are. And some of those questions I'm actually getting at is, am I here to serve you now? Is now the right time for you? Because if it's not the right time for you, you're not mentally in the right space, you've had trauma, you've had disordered eating that's never been addressed, all these other different things, then I'm, don't, I'm not it right now. Come back to me. But I'm not going to be another failure for you, right? And there's a lot of people that are, come on over to my Adipex clinic. Come on over to my bariatric, bariatric surgery clinic, right? And, you know, one of my patients, while we were waiting for the labs to come back, this is an interesting story, I think, quickly. Um, it takes about four weeks to get all of this stuff back, me to run through it, and then we have our, a big walkthrough of everything. And they get a 40 page, they get all of their data, and what I create from that is 40 pages long myself, where I put it all together for them. And one of my patients got a little itchy. And she said, hey, I was thinking about going down to Kentucky and, um, and I, I honestly, I was traveling and I missed it. Otherwise, I would have said no. I thought she was just going to go visit her family, you know, on my phone, distract a little bit. And I was like, sure, take this trip. Go ahead. Go to Kentucky. And what I missed in there was two words, which was like four Adipex. And I was like, <sighs> so we got our labs back. We did a thing. I said, hey, I just want to, before we get going, how's it going? Like, how's it going with the Adipex? By the way, what is Adipex for people that don't know? It is a it is an appetite suppressant stimulant medication for weight loss. Okay, and she said how long? How changed. long does it? By the way, how long does this last? This because she had to go to Kentucky. It makes it seem like can't they just ship oh, she's, it to you? She's a I'm in Central Ohio, and she actually lives about an hour and a half south. And honestly, 
everything around Columbus is only about an hour and a half away because we're smack in the center. It's a little bit different than Austin. You could go three hours or you could go 10 hours. In Ohio, we're smack in the center. Gotcha. Um, And so she, uh, zero success and doesn't feel any better. And I wasn't surprised. And I'm sorry that I said, take the trip to Kentucky and miss the other part. Otherwise, I would have said, don't do it. Don't spend your money, right? Because that's not enough. So everybody's looking for a one-off offer, right? Of how, I think how it was actually themselves. great that she did go to Kentucky to actually see well, for herself true. it didn't work. And true. sometimes, you know, you and I both love hacks, but hacks only get you so far. It takes mastery. It takes systems. And you got to invest in yourself. And so I, I love it. I, I love that she tried a hack and it didn't work for her. Yeah. So does the A1C thing make sense to you? What I was talking about. So the, the other thing is that when we're looking at the cell, right, a little cell and we've got our insulin and it grabs and it binds, right? People who are chromium deficient, their insulin doesn't bind well to the cell. That's a big deal. That's an easy fix if you know it. Should everybody start pummeling chromium after hearing this? No. Should you get the testing to find out? Yes, because there are patients that I thought, surely there's a chromium problem and there sure as heck wasn't, okay? But there were other things that were impairing energy efficiency in the cycle. And you can see that through spectra, by the way, I'm assuming, because it's a mineral, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 So amazing. yeah. And scale it, know it. And then also re- and easy remind the charts are beautiful for clients to look at. Um, and because what, again, what good is a quest lab is useful for me, but it doesn't usually give a lot of explainers, right? So that's not a great thing. So it's great that they have built this out so that it is useful to the individual client, not just the practitioner, right? So we have this cell and we have the insulin that's coming along. And here's what I want people to think about and realize how important this whole energy discussion of somebody's body is and why it's important in my mind to go after each of these areas. How much energy needs to come in? How, many, how much energy needs to go out? How does your body respond to cardio? How does your body respond to strength training? How does your body respond with cardio to HDL? Like all these tendencies, right? Like know all of this stuff. So what happens is, is that the, so long at, let's talk about real quick, this ties into it, the number of individuals that we have and in Dr. the United B, States. Just, sorry, just really quick. I, I gotta, yeah. I, I'm looking up at the time and I got to run probably in five minutes, unfortunately. Okay, so no um, just keep that in mind. And then I want to wrap things up and kind of just let people know after you kind of tell the story is, um, what's the most important thing we need to walk away with kind of thinking and then where people can find you, connect with you, learn more about you. And I, and I have lots more questions, by the way, we're definitely going to do a part two. So, uh, yeah, yeah. so, but, but so, I appreciate this, but yeah, go ahead. If, if nobody thought about anything else after hearing this is I want people to consider, consider their body's energy and not in a uh, magnetic field way. And I'm not poo-pooing earth grounding and all that stuff. Cause we literally have magnets all around us. Otherwise we wouldn't have a compass, but from a perspective of not just what's coming in, what's coming out, quality, quantity, how the body's processing it. And to think of, for people who have known people who have gone to bari- bariatric surgeons, right? At the end of the day, somebody's stomach and what they take in is smaller. But the actual biochemical processes that have to happen for somebody to lose weight are the same as somebody who does not have their stomach impaired. The actual process of fatty acid oxidation and fat burning, that is... Uh, maybe I should have led with this, but that's kind of the end cliff note is you need to understand how your body does it. You need to understand, and the Metabolab, your biohack, the name of my clinic, is because you need to stack every available thing possible for some people who are severely metabolic dysregulated, severe metabolic syndrome, you name it, classic labs, classic story, maybe just one or the other, it doesn't matter, or somebody who is even skinny fat, as one of my patients taught me that term, you need to understand how do you get all of that machinery working together? And where people lose hope and where they have failure after failure is there's one component that they go after and it may be accurate or it may, it may not be. They may be doing one thing that works for their body and it may be negated by another thing that they're doing. So without going after this in a very tiered, like people don't have time, I think we're frustrated in society, to try to finagle and figure this out. And some people stumble through and they get lucky. And some people have good genes and some people don't. Some people have a lot of money, some people don't. All these different things. We've got a lot of variables going on. But to cue in and to understand, ask yourself how you feel. And if you feel like crud, you probably really feel like crud. It's not inside your head. And then you need to ask yourself, how do I not feel like crud? 
okay? And part of it is you need to understand there's an energy problem. Your mitochondria aren't working well. Your mitochondria aren't happy. You probably have less mitochondria because of leptin resistance. Nobody's talked to you about that. There's a number of things. So start figuring out and reaching out and learning how do I unstuck all of my cellular machinery so it all sings together instead of one thing working against another. With somebody screaming over here to do this, scream for yourself. Get your own data. There's nothing more powerful. Get data that's useful and actionable, not something that is pie in the sky that's just neat to look at. And don't ever get data if you're not going to try something. Why would you ever do that to yourself? Like, if you're doing it, make it actionable and take action. And if you can't find somebody, of course, you can. I'm in Ohio. I'm licensed in Ohio. If you're willing to travel to Ohio, I'm happy to see you, obviously. But uh, it's not hopeless is what I want people to know. And there's a lot of people in their 20s and 30s right now who have severe metabolic dysregulation and we've got a, a uh, loud banter that I'm healthy because my labs look good right now. And that's not going to be the case. We just have to follow those labs in time. The cells will help you. Your body will help you. It's highly adaptable. But don't be misled. Don't be misled that it's, it's now. It's time to take action and to learn about yourself. Amazing. Amazing stuff. Dr. Heather Bartlett, uh, man, love you so much. You've got so much good knowledge. And what I really just take away from you too is just, um, you know, come, anybody that goes to see you is like, come along for the journey and be ready to experiment and test and retest. And um, that's how you're going to get better. And I, I don't see a lot of people willing to do that. And it's really been cool just to see how you've gone down that path and, um, you know, even questioning your own, questioning your own beliefs, questioning um, the beliefs of the medical establishment, what they've been told, and continuing to ask more and more to get to this point. And, and you've seemed like you've really concocted a nice little system. I got to have you back for a part two. But until then, uh, where can people find you, connect with you, learn more about you? Are you doing virtual stuff too for people? So actually, the majority, outside of people coming into the clinic when we're grabbing all the labs... I mean, people are walking out with about 300 pages of useful, readable information that I compile into 40 to make it quickly executable for people, right? Um, so I do almost everything via Zoom because I need to do shares. Otherwise, we'd have paper cuts. We'd all be anemic at this point going through all this stuff together. So I've really tried to make it so that it is an efficient process for people too. Uh, part of even the questionnaire that people do to, to do our intensive is I know people better after reviewing this one thing than I could have ever said about any of my patients before. And I can guarantee you, I bet I can tell you more things about my patients. If I had to do a head to head, like a, a dating game on a cruise and two patients and two doctors, I'm pretty certain I would win based on the information. And it, it's all relevant. So find yourself a doctor that's going to ask you the questions. It's going to make it efficient. It's going to make it tangible hundred percent that you can make impact, create cellular metabolic impact. Amazing. And I'm at the website is metabolab.clinic www.metabolab.clinic awesome i'll put that in the show notes yeah. dr heather cool. bartlett thank you so much thanks joel i really appreciate it